And welcome to episode 92 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week we will be covering true crime and a paranormal story from the state of New Hampshire. Yes, you've got the true crime. I have paranormal and the drink. And this is to celebrate. Let's bring in the new year, right? Yes. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy 2022. New Year. 2022. And may this be a good year. Yes, absolutely. What are we drinking, Mom? We are drinking a pomegranate margarita. Okay, this looks really good. I'm really excited. And what the hell does that have to do with New Hampshire? I was going to call you out, but I did... <laughs> didn't want to hurt your feelings. We're starting a new year. <laughs> wow, you're turning a new leaf? <laughs> trying, I'm trying. Everything will be made clear at the paranormal. Like ringing bells? <laughs> yep. That still, that still is not too clear with me, but okay. I don't know. Your bells were ringing after those shots of tequila. So. Okay. Yeah, this is true. This is very, very true. And this drink smells like tequila. It is. Well, it's a margarita. So yes, it's actually very easy to make. I got this from foodnetwork.com. The link will be in, of course, our website on our website. So if you guys want to go to that link, courtesy of Danny Boom, B-O-O-M-E. I'm, I'm excited. I love pomegranate. So I'm very excited. Um, this actually yields four servings. So we have some extra. <laughs> because <laughs> I made all four servings. Okay, what is in this? Please um, tell me. I'm dying to take a taste. Let's go, mom. <laughs> the first thing is a lime wedge for garnish. Yeah, yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> Why is that the first thing? Well, because it's used, and I, I'm sorry, I didn't make the rim for you, but you, you put the lime wedge around the rim, and then you dip it in- And then you dip it in the salt. Salt, mm -hmm. or- Another version, sugar. Yeah, we Not, did that with the tequila shot. We did like the cinnamon sugar. I, that was I still like salt. Oh, I thought that was good. But anyway, another version is to dip it in just regular sugar instead of salt. Okay. Ice, four ounces of white tequila, two ounces of triple sect, and a half a cup of pomegranate juice. Oh, that's it. Okay. Lime juice from one lime that's optional. And also um, club soda. Ooh, okay. So... Fill glasses with ice in a cocktail shaker. Uh, with ice, place the tequila, triple sec, pomegranate juice, and lime juice. Pour into the salted rim glasses and top off with club soda. Ooh, okay. I'm excited to try this. So, my dear, cheers. Cheers, mama. It is, it is, it tastes as good as it looks. It looks so festive. I love pomegranate juice. It looks so festive and it tastes so I good. I love tequila. A, this is really good. It's a great twist on the margarita. So is a margarita like juice with tequila then? Like I think how, a margar what, what qualifies I think, this as yeah, a margarita? Yeah, what qualifies? I think it's tequila and triple sec. Triple sec? Because I know that's what Tommy puts in his. And then and then he puts lime, of course, lime juice in his. So if it has triple So if it has triple sec, tequila, and lime that makes it a margarita margarita yes maybe. i don't know either but maybe <laughs> maybe our listeners do <laughs> and they're rolling their faces at us <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, guys, try it. It is so good. Oh, yeah. I like that lime in there. And the club soda adds a little bit of a fizz. A little I fizz. Like that. I like that. A little that. fizz. So I know a margarita with fizz is kind of weird, but it just tops yeah. it off. And obviously I like sparkling, so I like the fizzy stuff. So I Googled what I Googled. makes a... I did. I looked on the Google because it was going to bother me. What makes <laughs> what makes a margarita a margarita? And it says, a margarita is a cocktail consisting of tequila, orange liqueur, and lime juice. Oh, we are so smart. <laughs> we were guessing, but <laughs> we know our booze, man. <laughs> Sad but true. Okay. Well, I'm proud of us, man. That's, I am that's pretty impressive. We are so smart. And again, they are rolling their faces at us. <laughs> like, duh. <laughs> it really went that hard. <laughs> Good guess, guys. <laughs> okay. I'm going to take a big gulp of this. Uh, I guess we better laugh now, right? From what you've told me. Yes. So I need to start the true crime portion of this episode with the fact that... I do not know everything there is to know about this case. I mean, honestly, for any case that we've covered, it's, that's uh, yeah, kind of the fact. Say, yeah, yeah. This case in particular this week, though, I really want to reiterate that I am not a professional. <laughs> I'm just a girl who likes true crime <laughs> and ghosts and, and ghosts. drinking. And I know what a margarita is. <laughs> And I enjoy sharing these stories with you. Mom and I just enjoy, we've always enjoyed, that's why we started the podcast, just sitting together and chatting true crime and, you know, interesting stories that, you know, strike our interest. That sounds silly, but (laughs) that's why we started this podcast with interesting stories to strike your interest. Uh, I take this platform on our podcast as like to give a voice to the victims so yeah it's interesting and it's fun to talk about but we also do have a point is that we want to speak for the victims for the victims yeah yeah and we never want to lose that we want to advocate for them but we do not and cannot know everything there is to know about a case and I want to reiterate all of this because with this case in particular, there are people that have literally made it their career to speak about this case. Holy smokes. To and we're research doing it in one episode. It, exactly. That's kind of the point is that I'm going to give you the gist of this case. These people have, many people have picked this case apart bit by bit by bit. I mean, it's crazy the amount of sources and different facts that are out there Hmm. I researched this case I mean obviously I'm not just gonna sit here and give you my opinion and share a story without doing proper research I researched this case but that doesn't mean that I have all the facts I'm actually really intimidated to do this case because there's so much out there this case has gone cold and that fact in itself strikes an interest with people We've discussed that on this show before. The chase and the mystery and jumping down all the rabbit holes. It's fun. It can literally become all consuming. Uh-huh. But in that chase, a lot of people lose sight of what matters. The victim. the victim. I know I probably sound like a broken record, but I just need to reiterate the point that it's about the victim. And in this case, the voice I'm advocating for is 
Mara Murray. Those of our listeners that take part in the true crime community have heard this case told before. It's probably the most covered missing persons case out there. Maybe that's because her disappearance took place the week Facebook launched. So social media got a hold of it. Maybe it's because facts have been manipulated and stories have been stretched over the years. Or maybe it's honestly just a totally mind-baffling case that gets people's interest. Whatever the reason, like I mentioned, this case has many rabbit holes and theories. There are blogs, books, podcasts, documentaries, and shows all about this case. So again, I'm going to cover the gist of it. If you want to dive down and really get some more information, go, go look on the web. There's so much out there. And it's great. That's great. This case needs attention with all the different theories and ideas. Maybe this opens up the avenue to find the answers. Mara needs a light on her case to hopefully find answers. But For some reason, with this case especially, those people that have covered the case so in-depth have kind of claimed the case. What do you mean? Like, I've done this research, this is my theory, and that's that. Oh, oh no, no. And, And to each their own, but there's just become, there's a lot of drama surrounding this case, and that intimidated me. There's a lot of he said, she said, there's a lot of fingers being pointed, a lot of opinions had, and a lot of just claim in the case. And honestly, there's a lot of bullying going on over different views of different theories. Oh, my goodness. There's harassment of creators like podcasters and bloggers who maybe hold different opinions. You know That really intimidated me in our little old podcast. But then I realized it's not about them. It's about Mora. No matter what you believe, she's the one who disappeared. And her name is getting lost in the drama and her voice is getting lost in the noise. So all that being said, I'm going to do my best at sharing what I understand to be facts in this case. I'm not here to pick sides. I'm just here to share her story the best way I can. I'm Team Mora. That's it. Okay. So to the best of my abilities and resources. This is the disappearance of Maura Murray. Maura was born May 4th, 1982. She was born in Brockton, Massachusetts, but grew up in Hanson, just south of Boston. She was one of five children to Fred and Lori. She had an older brother, two older sisters, and then a younger brother. Her parents divorced when she was six years old, and she lived mostly with her mother, but was still very close with her father. Mm Mm-hmm. In an interview I watched with Fred, he stated how close he was with his daughters. And Fred is the father. Yes. Okay. Like I said, people have picked this case apart bit by bit. Some claimed that Fred was a little overbearing with his daughters when it came to sports, pushed them a little too hard. But his daughter, Julie, claimed that that didn't come from Fred. That push and that drive, that competitive nature, it was just in them. Mm Mm-hmm. Mara was described as an overachiever in athletics as well as in her education. She was also known in her community where, according to maramurraymissing.org, she, quote, was active in her local community where she became known for her kind heart, signature dimples, and beautiful smile, unquote. She was in the honor society, played competitive basketball, and broke records in track. Jeez. 
She graduated at the top of her class at Whitman Regional High School. So growing up, sisters Julie and Maura were very competitive with each other. And that was true through high school and even into college, where they both ran track at the Military Academy in West Point. Oh, wow. After two years at West Point, Moore decided to change paths and transferred to the University of Massachusetts to pursue a career in nursing like her mother. So some things I will mention, but I think are transgressions that make up some of the noise surrounding Mora's case. So back when she was at West Point, Mora was shopping at the commissary with a girlfriend and she got caught stealing, I think like a little piece of makeup or something Mm -hmm. makeup related shoplifting. Okay. Yes. So resources are all over what happened next. I know there was a hearing of some kind afterwards and then she did leave West Point and went to UMass. So some say that she left West Point by choice. Others say she was forced out. Mm -hmm. You know, they gave her an ultimatum. I I don't know the logistics of it. Mm-hmm. Regardless, she transferred to UMass. Another transgression happened there at UMass. She actually was charged with a credit card fraud. She apparently stole a dorm mate's credit card information and used it to buy pizza. Oh. Now, we've all been young and made bad decisions, but these bad decisions cannot define Mora. Just like being a track star does not define her. Right. These are just a couple things that have come up over the years of research. And there you go. There you go. So she also had a boyfriend. She started dating Billy Rush at West Point and they remained dating in her move to the University of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Now, again, the clarity of this relationship cannot be certain. A podcast will claim that the two were basically engaged to be engaged. Engaged to be engaged? Yeah. Like they were heading towards heading marriage. That way. Okay. A book may claim that they were on the rocks and the relationship had reached its end when she disappeared. I think there was some infidelity going on on both sides. They're far apart, right? And I know like at West Point, because her sister was still there, her sister was told that he was cheating. And I think there was something going on with Maura back at UMass. But Long distance relationship, right? But I mean, this case has so many moments of oh yeah and this too and that too and like I read she was having an affair with her track coach at some point not around the time of her disappearance but at the at a time she did apparently so again I don't know the absolute facts of what Billy and Moore's relationship was only they know that's between Moore and Bill but when she disappeared he was stationed in Fort Sill in Oklahoma thousands of miles away so I don't even think he was really ever a suspect but so he was there in Fort Sill Oklahoma Mm -hmm. when she disappeared I can't say if Bill was a good boyfriend or not I can't say that the two were together were not together what the details right right. of their relationship was at the time she disappeared but here are the facts when it comes to the two of them they had dated And we know that they were in contact and talked regularly, exchanging I love you's and such the days leading up to her missing. So that's that. And we also know that he was in Fort Sill. Correct. Okay. So I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I've watched some documentaries. Asked mom. She texted and called me a few days in a row and I wouldn't respond to her. 
<laughs> because I was, <laughs> I was deep down this hole. And the best way I think to share this story will be to kind of give a quick review of the disappearance and then go back and dive into a timeline of sorts with a little more detail. Okay. So Maura is attending UMass. And again, without going into too much detail, on Monday, February 9th, 2004, she sends an email to her teachers saying that she will not be in class that week. There was a death in her family and she was leaving town. Just so you are aware, there was no death in her family, mm-hmm. but she sends this email. Okay. She packed a bag with toiletries, makeup, workup attire, school books, and several days worth of clothing. She makes a few different calls that are suspicious as well. One is to a condo in Bartlett, New Hampshire, and the other is to 1877 Go Stow, which What's that? it's basically like an old school 1-800 number where you call and you can hear like what slopes are open, what slopes are closed, the weather, places oh, to stay. Okay. Because okay. this is in 2004. You don't just hop on the Google like we do now. <laughs> no, I understand. It's a, it's, it's, yeah. Okay, so she calls this. She emails Bill saying she will call him later that day because he had been trying to reach her. She then goes to an ATM and gets out $280, which is was almost all the money she had in that account. Mm-hmm. She goes to a liquor store and purchases $40 worth of alcohol, and she hits the road. To where? We don't know. Why? We don't know. No one knows. And if they do, they aren't saying anything. This Hmm. is where the mystery begins. Why did she leave? Where was she going? She travels north up Interstate 91 and takes the exit for Haverhill, New Hampshire. Now, these roads are windy. It's dark. It's snowy. You're in the, she's in the foothills of the White Mountains. She slides, maybe, or she loses control. No one knows. All we know that there was some kind of a wreck, and her car was found facing west on the eastbound side of the road, stuck in the ditch. Okay, okay. That's why we know that she actually did take that road. Okay. It looked like she maybe hit a tree and spun out because there was a crack in the windshield, but nobody witnessed the actual crash. Mm -hmm. So we can't know for sure what the logistics of the crash were, but there was damage to her vehicle and both airbags had deployed. Both? Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, even though she is out on this windy road, she's not like in the middle of nowhere. There are a few houses that sit on this road. Okay. Some of which saw the car and called 911 and reported it. Okay. Um, can I interrupt? I know you're going to give a timeline, but is it nighttime right now? Yes. I just want to picture it while I... Okay. Yes, it is evening. So the first call here you go. The first call comes in at 727, reporting a car on the side of the road stuck in a ditch. A bus driver heading home, his house is on the road as well, sees the vehicle in the ditch and he pulls over to see if anybody needed help, if there were any injuries. And he actually talks to a young girl. She was really shaken up. He asked her if she needed her to call someone or if she wanted a ride maybe to his house just over 100 yards away to make a call. She says, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. She had already called AAA. Here's the thing, though. Butch, the bus driver, Mm -hmm. knew this couldn't be true because there was no cell service out there in the mountains on that road. Oh, and he knew that. Okay. 
He didn't press her on this, though. He left, he went home, and he too called police, reporting more information on the crash. Good. Okay. Fire and EMS was dispatched. When police arrived less than five minutes after Butch made that call, there was no one at the crash site, just the abandoned vehicle locked on the side of the road. Maura Murray was nowhere to be seen. No tracks in the woods as if it, it was as if she vanished. She just vanished. Poof. Yeah. Oh. And to this day, it will be 18 years in February. There's still no sign of her, apparently, depending on which source you go down oh, that rabbit hole. Oh, which okay. again i'm not going to touch on that stuff you guys can go follow those rabbit holes yourself i'm just going to talk about the story yes there's some pink stuff in the snow outside of the car eventually i'm thinking the police do break into the vehicle because there's a report of alcohol in the car um, there's a boxed wine and a coke bottle that had a uh, liquor substance in it some resources say there's a red liquor substance. Some say the Coke smelt of alcohol. Regardless, it's an okay. open container. So was she drinking while she was driving? Oh, I, I see. Okay. Um, there is also some splatter red of a red substance in the vehicle. And there is a cloth in the tailpipe of the vehicle. Oh, Okay. People have estimated a seven-minute window from when Butch stopped and talked to her to when police arrive on the scene. Where did she go? What happened in that seven minutes? Why was she out there? She's over 130 miles from school. Okay, but didn't she make reservations at some... She, and I'm going to get into that, but she didn't. She called oh. those places, but there was never a reservation never ever made. she made a reservation. And that lodge wasn't anywhere near the direction that she was headed? No. But why was she going there? Why did she tell people that there was a death in the family and why was she going there? I don't know. Jeez. Now, that's the gist of the story. Let's get more into details. I'm going to actually start with the Thursday before her disappearance. So she disappeared on February 9th, which was a Monday. Okay. And I'm going to start on February 5th, which was a Thursday. Maybe there's a clue. Maybe there's not. Maybe it shows what headspace she was in before the spontaneous trip. Again, maybe not. Like mom and I have mentioned before, resources, especially on a case this big, they report so many different things. Mm -hmm. Some have underlying tones of their opinions. I'm really going to try not to give any opinion here. Again, I'm just going to try to stick to the facts. Um, the timestamps I'm going to give are from police reports, which I understand can't always be taken as fact. There can be human error. And some people in this case don't trust the police. But I am going to use police record and telephone records to give this timeline. Obviously, if these times aren't exact, it's still giving you the best timeline that you can get on right. this. So starting Thursday, February 5th, Mara was working one of her two jobs on campus. She worked in an art gallery and she worked with campus security as well. Oh. She was working uh, campus security that evening and she's actually working with her supervisor. Now, her supervisor claimed in an interview that while working, it's they're not allowed to be talking on the phone. But Mora seemed to be on her phone a lot that night. Hmm. 
I can't tell you specifics as to what the conversations were about, but she talked to Billy on the phone for about 20 minutes at 7.17 p.m., then again at 9.56 p.m. for about six minutes. Then while on her break, she talked to her sister, Kathleen, for about 30 minutes, and that was around 10.10. Okay. She then talks to Billy again for maybe seven minutes, and that was at 12.07 a.m. So now it's Friday. Early morning. Mm -hmm. Again, I cannot give you concrete details about what these conversations were about. Of course not. At 1 a.m., Maura's supervisor walks her back to her dorm before her shift is ended because she was so distraught about something. Oh. She said that Maura was just sitting with her school books open in front of her and was kind of like catatonic, like really upset, like just staring off into space. And she was very upset about something. And when the supervisor asked, what's wrong, she was really upset. And she just said, my sister or something about her sister. So Moore is really upset. So her supervisor walked her back to her dorm. And this was at 1 a.m. Okay. Can I interrupt? Um, so she didn't come onto the shift upset. She got upset after the phone call with her sister. Uh, well, her sister's call was at 1010. And break. During her break, and I don't, we don't know necessarily. That is just the timeline of her phone calls. But was it really her sister that was bothering her? Was it something going on with Billy? Was there just something in general we don't know about? That's what's kind of tricky about this is because we don't know what it is that upset her. Okay, and we don't know when. Right, and we don't know if it was days before, or maybe it really was her sister, or maybe that was just an excuse of why she was upset. I don't know. We don't know her headspace exactly, but she was upset, and her supervisor escorted her to her dorm at 1 a.m. Okay. From there, there's really no phone records on Friday the 6th until about 6.01 p.m., she calls her voicemail at 6.01, and then at 6.13, she receives a call. I'm not sure who this call is from, but they chat for about 17 minutes. Uh, at 10.02, she gets a call from Fort Sill, Oklahoma, which is where Billy was stationed. Right. And then nothing for a while. And again, this timeline is the best of my knowledge, and it's all based on phone records I found online. Okay, right. so now it's Saturday, February 7th, and Fred Murray... Maura's father comes into town to visit her and they plan on doing some car shopping. I find it kind of, kind of strange. I mean, if I can say this, but I find this kind of strange that while she was working, she was on the phone, on the phone, on the phone, on the phone. And then the next day, nothing. And she well, wasn't on the phone at all until six. I know part of that time she was sleeping but well, she's probably sleeping. She has and then classes. she has school. Yeah. Yeah. And I am not a police officer. I don't have records of what she maybe was doing on the computer that day. I oh. don't know. Okay. Maybe she was sending emails. Yeah. This is also 2004. So people aren't texting. You know what I mean? Like now we live on our phones. Mm -hmm. Maybe she was talking on AIM. Maybe she, you know, so there is, there's probably record of her communicating with somebody on Friday, but this okay. is, like I said, I'm just following the timestamps that I can give you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now it's Saturday. Her dad is in town 
and they're planning to go car shopping. So like I mentioned, she's at UMass to study nursing. And in the nursing program, among the things like her uniform has to be up to par and her hygiene has to be clean, it was also a requirement to have reliable transportation and like to get to clinics and such. Sure. Yeah. And she, her car was really heading down the crapper. It was smoking a lot. (laughs) So remember that rag in the tailpipe tailpipe i'm not a mechanic so i don't know but fred had actually told his daughter to put the rag in there maybe on like short trips and stuff so that she wouldn't get arrested for her car tailpipe smoking oh okay okay so we don't know why the rag was in the tailpipe at the crime scene mm-hmm. but he had told her in in the past to put the rag in the tailpipe so that you don't get pulled over for Got your it. car smoking. And they were in the process of looking for her a new car. So maybe that was his short-term fix on it. Gotcha. You know, maybe she forgot it was in there on the long drive. Or maybe she had just oh, put it in there when she totally. parked. Yeah. I I don't, you know, who, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Okay. Okay, so back to Saturday. Her, fa- her father comes up. Now, it's kind of weird, but Frank has to go to multiple ATMs to take out. He takes out $4,000. And he's from Massachusetts and his bank is in Massachusetts and it's mm-hmm. Saturday. And he goes to multiple ATMs because you have a limit on what you can sure, take yeah. out to get this $4,000 for car shopping. Mm-hmm. Some people find this weird and suspicious. Others are like, no, he maybe he forgot to get the cash out all week. Maybe it was last minute. Like, yeah. We don't know. But regardless, he takes that $4,000 and they go look at vehicles. A vehicle is not purchased that day. Okay. But they do go looking at cars. So after car shopping, Fred and Maura uh, and some resources even claimed that Maura's friend Kate joined them for dinner at the Amherst Brewing Company restaurant. After they eat, Maura drops her father off at his motel and she plans to go to a party. Um, Some call it a party. Others call it a get together. But she heads there driving her dad's new car. So their dad had driven up from Massachusetts. He had a new car. Mm -hmm. He's sleeping at the motel and she's taking her dad's car out. So I understand the safety issue there because her car was kind of in poor shape. But I don't know if you got a new car. Would you let me drive to a party in it? But he did. He did. He let her try. He's more generous than I am. (laughs) So Kate and Maura go to this dorm party uh, or get together, whatever you want to call it. And it's thrown by their friend Sarah. And Sarah was someone who worked with Maura at the art gallery. And this party, I couldn't find a lot of details on. Uh, Over the years, some details have emerged. But again, I don't know what's worth sharing, what's not worth sharing, what's actual fact. I'm going to try to stick to just a timestamp. Right. So Maura leaves the party around 2.30 a.m. Now, this is Sunday morning, 2.30 in the morning, February 8th. And at 3.30 a.m., there is a call made to UMass police because she got into an accident in her dad's (gasps) car. Oh, no. Apparently, she had hit a guardrail. I couldn't find for sure if a breathalyzer was taken at the scene. Mm -hmm. I'd be curious. I couldn't find that as fact anywhere. Right. But she caused about $8,000 worth of damage to the vehicle. Oh. At 3.37 a.m., an officer arrives to the scene, 
At 429, the tow truck leaves the scene with the vehicle. Some resources say that Mora got a ride from the tow truck driver and others say from a police officer. But she gets a ride back to her dad's motel and is dropped off there at 445 a.m. At 538 a.m., there is a call made from Fred's cell phone to Billy. You know, many people have assumed that maybe her cell phone was dead and she's calling her boyfriend to check mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at 538, there's a call from Fred's cell phone to Billy. The next day, Fred drops. So later on that day, because this is Sunday, Fred drops Mora off at her dorm and he heads out of town. Now, I don't know if this was in his car, if he got a rent a car, if what the condition of his car was. I right. think that's a minor fact that doesn't matter to the case. She, the timeline is she goes back to her dorm. So that Sunday, nothing, there's no timeline to report really. I mean, heck, she's not really getting into her. She didn't get to her dad's motel until 4.45 a.m. I can imagine she just spent a lot of her Sunday sleeping. Uh, Yeah. I was in college. I had weird hours. (laughs) Again, what is relevant to her going missing and taking her mysterious trip? I don't know. We have a 21-year-old college girl who went to a party, wrecked her dad's car. Did this affect her mental state? Honestly, I don't know. She had some kind of conversation on the phone with her sister that upset her. Maybe it upset her. Was this just a cover-up that something else was bothering her? So this was another excuse because, you know, why did and like, why did she talk to Billy so many times on the phone that night? Was Was this normal for them to talk this regularly? on the phone or was there a pressing matter that they needed to discuss and so they were talking more and more were they discussing their relationship were they discussing the weather or a football no game idea. we don't know you know we don't know or maybe were they discussing something like her sister Th- that conversation with her sister her sister claims it was a normal conversation But later she divulges in an oxygen documentary I watched that she had just gotten out of rehab and was drinking again. The sister? And she had shared that with Mora on the phone. So did that upset Mora to the state that she was in? Mm -hmm. We could go on and on with the theories and the sub storylines in this case. But we're going to jump to February 9th, the day that Mora disappeared. Now, this timeline I'm going to give is what is in the phone records. I'm not going to cover anything outside of that. It's also the computer records and the police files. I'm sticking to those to give a description of what happened. So Monday, February 9th starts for Mora at 3.32 a.m. And she emails her teacher a homework assignment. I, Like I said, I had weird hours in college. Maybe she stayed up all night. Finishing the assignment. or Yeah, yeah. yeah. But she sends it at 3.32 a.m. And then from there, I'm assuming she just went to sleep because there's no concrete evidence of a timestamp until later. Again, that's my opinion, but I don't know. The next timestamp is at 11 a.m. Bill calls her and leaves a voicemail. Now, here's where things start to get odd. 12.55, Mora calls Linda Salomon. Now, Linda owns condos in the Bartlett, New Hampshire area. Now, Linda does not remember specifics of this phone conversation, only that she got a call asking for about a condo. Okay. But a condo was never booked. Gotcha. All right. So we can jump down many rabbit holes with this call, and many have. I'm just going to kind of mention some of the theories, little little tidbits here. The condo was a two-bedroom condo. So something you can keep in mind, 
because it was two bedrooms. Was she planning a trip with another person or multiple people? Or did she call about this condo because this condo was an area that she had gone camping and hiking with her family in the past? Just actually that last summer, they had gone to that area and maybe she was Googling that area because she really loved that area and she discovered Linda's condo, which apparently was one of the cheaper ones on the market. I see. That's why she called and it just happens to have two bedrooms two bedrooms right or did she need the two bedrooms nobody knows again nobody even knows why she was looking out there Mm -hmm. but she called and talked to linda at 12 55 at one o'clock she sends an email to bill and the subject was hey hey she wrote something along the lines of i love you more but honestly i didn't feel like talking to anyone i promised to call today i love you So keep in mind, this is Monday, and she hasn't talked to Bill now since the accident on Saturday night. And we can assume that that was her call, if we assume that that's her calling from Fred's cell phone. Okay. Okay, so the next timestamp is 1.13, and she calls a classmate, Erin Murphy. She wanted to return some clothing to Erin that she had borrowed. Erin stated that Maura said that she was heading home because of a family emergency. When Aaron pressed for more, she just said something along the lines of my sister, but didn't want to share anymore. Mm-hmm. Then at 1.24, Maura emails a professor or some professors. I can't be clear, um, but the email s- states that she will not be in classes that week because of a family emergency. And some resources, most resources claim she said uh, there was a death in the family and that's why she wasn't going to be in classes. Okay. And... Family has no idea why Maura was planning on being away from school. Friends and family, nobody can report her ever even mentioning a trip or discussing with them that she wants to get out. Nothing. 205, she calls 1877 Go The call only lasted one minute. And I think I read that the lines were down, but the call only lasted a minute. Okay. And this Go Stow is for an area in Vermont. Oh, geez. Okay. Um, so like I said, it would have hotel listings, the weather, what slopes were open, what slopes were closed, that gotcha. kind of thing. 2.15, Bill calls her and leaves another voicemail. 2.18, she calls Bill back, but he doesn't answer because he's actually on the phone with her friend Kate. To I don't know. There's a lot of speculation here. Um, I I, honest, I don't know, but he was Maybe on just the to phone say, with Kate. You know, I haven't talked to her. Is she okay? Have you seen? Yeah. I uh, I don't know. Yeah. But she leaves a quick like, "Hey, call me back" kind of voicemail to Bill. Now Bill then turns around and calls more back to back to back to back, like three or four calls. He calls her, calls her, calls her. She doesn't answer. Is he just a concerned boyfriend checking on her after the crash? Uh, did Kate maybe share some details of drama from the party that involved Maura? Were the couple fighting? Mm-hmm. Was he really just trying to talk to his girlfriend? Yeah, yeah. If you look at the email she sent him, there's not like harsh tones or anything, though. She mentions, I love you twice mm-hmm. in the email. So, But she also says, I just don't want to talk to anyone. So something's obviously bothering her. Or maybe she just really wanted to study. I... I I'm just throwing it all out there at you. Are you catching it? I'm just throwing it at you. No, it's whizzing by. 3.15, Maura is seen getting money from an ATM. Again, she takes out $280, which is most of the money in her account. 
This ATM footage wasn't released until years later, but apparently it just shows her. You can't see her car. You can't see if somebody was in her car. You just see her. And obviously they were police were holding back that video for a reason. Oh. I think. I don't know. Maybe Of not. course. Of course they Maybe were. Maybe that's just me, Speculator McGee. I don't know. So she is seen in the video with her hair in a bun and she's wearing a light colored jacket. She then heads to Liquors 44 and buys alcohol. We don't know for sure what she bought. I've heard so many. I read this on the receipt and I read that on the receipt. I'm not even going to. I don't even know. All I know is the timestamp on the receipt was 343 is when she checked out and she spent around $40. Gotcha. You know, people, she bought so much alcohol. That's too much alcohol for one person or uh, I'm not even going to touch that. Hey, I go to the liquor store. That stuff adds up fast. It does. Just saying. It's like, (laughs) doesn't have to be a whole lot. (laughs) So the next thing is based on assumption. It is assumed that between 3.55 and 4.30, She went to the Hadley police station to get copies of her accident report. And why this is assumed, and I'm mentioning it, is because, you know, her father had been telling her to go get this because they needed it for insurance purposes. And she said that she would. And in fact, when her vehicle was found later on, two copies of the accident report were discovered in the vehicle. So at some point, she had to have gone to the police. To go get them. Yes. The very last concrete timestamp of her activities is at 4.37 when she called her voicemail. And then nothing until 7.27 when 911 dispatch gets a call from Faith Westman, a resident of Haverhill, New Hampshire. And just so you know, Haverhill from UMass is two hours. It's a Mm -hmm. two-hour drive, and it's about 130 miles away. So at 7.27, Faith calls and reports a car on the side of the road in the ditch. She asks, She's asked if anybody's injured. She doesn't know. She just can see it from her house. And all she sees is a car and a man in the passenger side smoking a cigarette. Okay. Now, this little tidbit has changed in my sources and changed from what even Faith has said. Some say she said a man in the front smoking. Other times she said she saw a red glowing light from the passenger side. Okay. So obviously from this, you can assume all the theories that started and you can see all the rabbits starting to dig their holes that Mara was not alone that night. Two minutes later, 729, Officer Cecil Smith heads to the scene. Around 730, Butch Atwood a school bus driver is on his way home. And again, he lives like 100, 150 yards from the crash site. He's heading home. He sees the car in the ditch and he stops to see, make sure everybody's okay if there's any injuries. He talks to a young woman. Later, he will describe her to police as shaken up. Her hair was down and it was black. Speculation has grown from this over the years because her hair was in a bun in the ATM video and her hair was light brown. But this is at night. It's at He's night. He's just right. talking to a girl. She's shaken up. Take from that what you will. He offers her a ride to his house to make a call. She says she's already called AAA, but there's no service out there. And Butch knows that. 
So he heads home and he talks to police at 742, giving them more details on the crash. So they get a call saying that there's a car in the ditch. And now they're getting a call with more details. Mm -hmm. He's stating that she's a single, that there's a single female and she doesn't seem to show any signs of injury, but she is shaken up. He tells police details like that the airbags were deployed and explained it as, quote, heavy damage, unquote, to the car. Within like 30 seconds of this call, fire and EMS are dispatched. 745, police arrive at the scene. This is what is stated in the police report. There's a lot of drama on if this is the actual time or not, but that is what is printed. So that's what I'm just gonna go with going to go with this time. Right. 746, it's officially logged in the dispatch log. Again, no one saw the accident occur, but it is assumed like the turn is it's pretty sharp. And even Butch on the 911 call, he describes it as the bad turn in the road. So mm-hmm. it's a yeah, maybe that came on her too quickly. You know, a lot of right. people said you're either out there because you knew where you were going or you were out there because you were lost. Uh Oh, and maybe this turn came up too quickly. She spun out, hit a tree, causing her to spin in the opposite direction that she was heading. But the big question again is, why was she out there? Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, driving the car that she probably shouldn't have been driving. Clunker, right? Yeah. Seven fifty four. A bolo goes out. uh, Be on the lookout for a female five seven on foot. Around 8 o'clock, fire and EMS arrive. A search is done in the area. Around 9.30, Officer Cecil Smith departs for another call he was called out for. Over the next few days, a comprehensive search is done in and around the vehicle. Moore's father, as well as Billy and his parents, arrive to help with the search. It is during this time her phone records are pulled and her computer files are looked at and her calls to 1877-GOSTO and the condo are discovered. Mm-hmm. And the emails and whatnot. So many theories, you know, go to that she was taken by somebody driving by. Some claim, well, they had to have forcefully taken her because Butch offered her a ride. Right, right. And she refused. Yeah. And no offense to Butch. He is a big dude with a beard and he's showing up in a school bus and she's by herself. Maybe she just didn't feel comfortable. Exactly. But but maybe a a young man driving by in a nice car, she felt comfortable. We don't know. I mean, there are so many assumptions that can be made here. The point is, is the girl vanished within a five to seven minute window. She's gone. That's crazy. Some theorize that she walked out into the woods and committed suicide. But no boot marks led into the woods. The area was searched. And have been searched these last 17, almost 18 years. And they've never found anything. And in her car, they found her school books. Why turn in your homework and take your schoolwork with you if you're planning on committing suicide? Yeah. Uh, Just playing devil's advocate here. Right, right. And she went and got those copies of the accident for her police report. Right, right. Again, one theory is not better than the other. These are just the ideas that have been put out there. And again, with her school books, they were found in her car, but her backpack wasn't, or it wasn't reported to being found in her car. That may be odd, and something that ties into this abduction story is that 
a witness claimed to have seen a woman running in the road about five miles or so from the accident scene. She was in dark clothing with a backpack. What? Was this a tall tale told by the witness trying to write themselves into the story? Into the story, right. Or was this Mora? She's a runner. She ran track and cross country. Was this Mora running up the road to try to get service on her cell to call AAA? Mm. But then what happened? Yeah. Was she picked up? I don't know. Was she with someone? There was a waitress that claimed that she saw Mora and two other women that day near the area. Oh my gosh, all these stories come out. Some say, you know, that there's a missing hour. It takes two hours to drive there. If the crash happened around 7, 7.30, it takes two hours. There's apparently some kind of a missing hour. It is mentioned her gas tank was basically full. That's a two-hour drive. She had to have stopped to get gas somewhere. Right. And we know she was using cash because right, her account has out. not been, yeah, and her account has not been touched since the ATM. Okay. But where did she stop and get gas? We don't know because there's no receipt. That's and just... in an hour, somebody could have easily stopped, got gas, maybe stopped to get a bite to eat somewhere. Yep. Used if the there's restroom. No, there's no paper trail. So that would be hard to even predict. You you don't you don't know. And the condo, like I've mentioned, had multiple rooms. Again, was she looking for more than one room because she was meeting somebody else or traveling with others? Some theorize that, you know, that was just in her price range. So she just wanted to call, but maybe she didn't want to commit. Maybe she wanted to keep going and she was just going to stop and stay at her first vacancy that she found. Or maybe she didn't book it, but the person she was traveling with did. So that's why she didn't book because the person she was traveling with booked a place oh that coke bottle in her car that had alcohol in it yeah was she driving and drinking that night this case has just been picked apart bit by bit by bit and all these details yeah sure that coke bottle that's important that's an important detail to the case but because there's so many theories and opinions based around that coke bottle it's just lost in the noise it's Mm -hmm. The, the, the thing in the tailpipe, all the stuff about it, or just how much alcohol she got, how much alcohol was found in the car, just all this, these theories and stretched stories and people writing themselves into the story. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we, we come across all the time. All the time. It's so weird. Even people confessing to crimes. <laughs> people confessing that they killed so-and-so and and it's like the black dahlia but they weren't even anywhere around there i mean there were so apparently there were two tow truck companies in the area and they like took turns Mm -hmm. every other night to answer and respond to calls and that night lavoie's tow company took her car but it wasn't lavoie's night and lavoie Either was the fire chief or had something to do with the fire department. So from there, there's been all these conspiracies of a cover up. But again, it's like, is that a fact that we should be focusing on or are we missing other things or is that important? Like, I don't know. That's like that. There's the title of our episode, mom. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> anything. We don't know her mindset. We don't know why she was going out there. Was she just going out there because she found 
solace out there and she had a lot going on she crashed her dad's car something with her sister was maybe something with her sister really was bothering her yeah, maybe she brought her Billy school was books her. so maybe in her solace she was still going to study I mean uh, I don't know we could theorize geez, forever no, I don't want to because there's too many missing links to there is there's a missing puzzle piece somewhere in here there's something there's missing several yeah so I'm not sure how people can jump to conclusions. There's so many missing pieces. You know, some say she headed to Canada to start over and begin anew. Some truly believe that and believe there's tons of clues to back up that theory. Like mom and I said, maybe some people believe that she just went up there to find solace, to hike, be alone, collect her thoughts. And then an accident occurred and maybe she was taken. There were human remains discovered near the area recently but as of november of last year so november 2021 the remains were found not to be those of mora oh shoot her loved ones crushed again with finding no answers there are so many theories i didn't even touch on the tip of this iceberg with this one so like i said in the beginning of the episode go yourselves go read the blogs go watch the documentaries go listen to the podcasts there's tons of different ideas, opinions, theories. Obviously, you can form your own ideas about this case, but please, please don't lose touch with what is most important, that this young, beautiful girl is missing. Her case is cold. Somewhere in all of these details is the answer. I'm praying someone knows something and comes forward or just something gets resolved. It's been 17, almost 18 years now, and new things come into the picture with this case all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, there's been fake accounts that have been created to harass podcasters, journalists, bloggers, documentarians. Just things keep coming up. There's a lot of judgment and a lot of noise where now we're left to wonder what is fact and what mm -hmm. is false. I just knew I had to share this story. So I don't want to be harassed. <laughs> I'm not sharing my opinion, but I wanted to share her story. Yeah. Wow. Just wow. And I'm sure the family hasn't stopped searching for answers. I mean. No. Um, I actually listened to the podcast by Sarah Turney, which I love you if you're listening. Um, but she had more a sister on and she stated something that and I and people have attacked Fred the father and again I don't know who's the truth teller in all of this that's what sucks attacking mm -hmm. people and bullying is just wrong no matter what no but matter what yeah he's in his late 70s and he apparently if he gets a lead he goes for it still to this day oh geez you know, there's a lot of advocates out there that's not family as well. There's a lot of people still searching, which is good. I, that's what we're doing here. We are getting this story out there to help aid the search. And like I said, it's good that it's covered in so many different ways. And I know the theories and can get annoying. Uh, the rabbit holes can get really annoying. But maybe one of them will shine a light on the avenue of the truth. On the truth, right. It's kind of what we're left to do now is theorize, unfortunately. Oh, still search for the truth. Hey, yeah, yeah. Mind blown. 
The end. <laughs> Please, I beg of you, as I take a gulp of this tequila. I might ever actually add a couple more shots in here. Please lighten it up, Mom. <laughs> I finished mine, so you can have the rest. The rest of the three? Here. <laughs> you made four drinks. I'm not going to drink all of this. I did. Or Beth will be inconsolable by the end of this. Inconsolable? Inconsolable. 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 Somebody get me that like vocab toilet paper. Like I need to learn my <laughs> vocabulary. I think that's why people like you. Because <laughs> I don't know how to speak. Let's make a podcast. This I girl, promise. have you heard I... her? She just makes up words. <laughs> I did send her to school. She even went to college. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I am going to lighten things up. Please. <laughs> and I'm going to make this drink stronger. <laughs> oh, jeez. So in 1890, a two-story police station and jail was built on Warren Street in Concord, New Hampshire. From that time to 1975, police as well as criminals came in and out of the building. Now, these were not hardened criminals, you know, like killers and stuff, but rather thieves and drunks and men fighting or just plain being obnoxious. <laughs> Reading about the jail just brought to mind Andy Griffith. <laughs> oh, boy. One of my oh, favorite, my favorite gosh. shows. I, oh. I have seen the entire series three times. Anyway, mom will just put it on and just relax to that show. I do, I do, oh, but I also so funny. I own a murder mystery company, and uh, I have written an Andy Griffith murder mystery. So I did watch it for research the first time. Now I just sit back and just totally chill. I just love that show. Anyway, oh my gosh! So it brought to mind the jail in Mayberry. Of course, that one was quite small. It only had two cells, and Barney's there. Yeah. <laughs> but as in Mayberry, the criminals only got locked up for a night or two. And well, okay, now I'm not sure whether the cells in New Hampshire were decorated with doilies and quilts. What? <laughs> That's in Mayberry. They had like doilies on the tables and lamps <sighs> and quilts. <laughs> anyway. And I don't know whether the inmates were served hot and delicious breakfasts and lunch and dinners as they did in Mayberry. Probably not because there's only one Aunt B. But <laughs> Mom <laughs> Today you can get a hot and from reviews a very delicious dinner at what once was the county jail. Oh, it's a restaurant now. Tio Juan's Mexican restaurant was open in nineteen eighty five. The restaurant is decorated with authentic carved chairs, furnishings, artwork, and tile from Mexico. Oh which cool. I'm sure makes it a fun place to eat. It is. Uh, it originally was Tio Juan's Mexican restaurant, but now it is called Margarita's Mexican restaurant. Are you putting the two together? Yes. <laughs> okay. <sighs> so why did you choose a pomegranate margarita? Just because? It's actually uh, on their menu, but it isn't, you know, of course they don't give the recipe so i googled pomegranate margarita oh my so goodness mother i tried to tie it up <laughs> okay <laughs> never mind 
Oh, mom. Oh, okay. All right. Now, what's fun about this place and what makes it unique is that some of the original jail cells were preserved and now serve as private seating areas. <laughs> that is actually really cool. So, yep, you can eat in a jail cell without being locked up. <laughs> Now, talking about eating, most of the reviews of the restaurant raved about the food. And the managers and staff actually travel to Mexico to immerse themselves in the food and culture and then bring it back to the restaurant. I bet it's Which I think is super cool. So if you're, you're in Concord, New Hampshire, and if you like Mexican food, this sounds like your cup of tea. Or should I say glass of margarita? margarita. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now that I've done a commercial for the restaurant. I was just going to say it sounds like a commercial. <laughs> I'll let you know why I chose this particular location. You see, there are reports by staff as well as patrons of a ghost. And since you said last week that we haven't mentioned George in a while, or that was probably two weeks ago, I thought it was totally appropriate to bring him back into play. <gasps> oh my gosh, it's been so long. Yes. The ghost's name is George. <laughs> I don't know, nor does anyone else, if there actually was a George imprisoned in the jail. Okay. <laughs> it's a pretty common name. So in the 85 years that the building was a police station and jail, there were probably more than one Georges that visited. I would assume so. <laughs> but there's only one George that has stayed. George is not menacing. He doesn't trip people on the stairs. Oh, man. <laughs> but he does totally like to mess with people. He's so ornery. Okay. He's been known to move tables and chairs as well as table settings. He's been known to drink unattended beverages. <laughs> sure. <laughs> or maybe that's the customers not realizing how much they've drunk. <laughs> Just saying. I didn't take that shot. Who took that shot? I've been there. <laughs> How'd that, how'd that drink get so low? I didn't drink that much. I'd like another glass of sparkling. Uh, you finished the bottle. <laughs> there are reports of him throwing food. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, I think that was just in the kitchen. I'm not sure. But can you imagine food just flying through the air? A anyway. flying taco. So I watched a YouTube video that was recorded by NEPRS, which is the Northeastern Paranormal Research Society. The video is titled Moving Glass at Margarita's Haunted Restaurant. Okay. Now that's exactly what happens. So it wasn't a totally original title. I mean, shocker that that's what happens in the video. <laughs> but it happens twice. Okay. Ooh. The first is when the couple is ordering and they're holding up their menus. And, the, you know, like in Mexican restaurants, they're like these huge menus. laminated, very yes. big menus. Right. So they're holding this up. And as they're ordering, you don't see a water glass. But then all of a sudden, this water glass has moved and it's in the shot. Now, is this from like a security camera or what's taping them? That's my question. What was recording it? Was it the guy that, because there's two of them sitting at the booth. Was there the guy across the table that was recording? That No, that couldn't have been because it was over the lady's shoulder. So maybe they brought their team in and they were recording just in case something would happen. I don't know. But no, they were both holding up their menus. So nobody had grabbed the glass at all. Okay. Okay. So all of a sudden the glass is in the shot. 
The second time, the woman actually has her hand up as if to grab the glass and it slides away from her. Oh. So said, girl, you don't need to hydrate. You need a margarita. (laughs) Need no dang water. So it it was kind of weird. And the guy goes, oh, my gosh, that is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I can't remember, but I think that most, if not all of George's that we covered are not mean spirited spirits. I think we had one mean George. We didn't claim him. I think that it was, was in D.C. I w- I, it was in D.C. You're right. It was in D.C. But George at Margarita's is no different than the other Georges that we've He's covered. a nice George. But he does sound somewhat of a pest and a troublemaker <laughs> <laughs> with all of his shenanigans. Yep. I just made George Irish. But anyway. <laughs> at a Margarita's restaurant. Okay, Mom. <laughs> okay. So because that was kind of short. I'm going to add another short ghost story from New Hampshire. And this ghost is a jogger on River Road in Manchester, New Hampshire. What a terrible haunting. I know we have a lot of runners that listen to us, but I don't know how you do it. And then just to keep on running in death, that was just, that's like my hell. (laughs) You don't run now. I No, I don't. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> I don't run unless I'm being chased. I am not a runner. No, 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 no. Anyway, so a ghost jogger. There have been reports of this jogger since the late 70s. He's been running since the 70s? What is this, Forrest Gump? Oh, <laughs> he supposedly shows up on Halloween night at around oh. 145. 145, okay. And there's no one chasing him. He's just running. <laughs> My poor soul. Why do you guys do that to yourselves? I guess it's actually become something to do on Halloween night, especially with the college kids. They sit on the side of the road and wait for the jogger to come by. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so cool. Of course, there are many reported sightings of this jogger and many tales, like he looks human until he runs through something or someone. Very scary. But you know me, I have to be the debunker, if that's a word. (laughs) It is now. Again, we're making up words. And I did, in fact, find a debunk to the story. Here she comes with ruining. (laughs) This This is what made me actually do this story because of the debunking. Because you could ruin it? Okay. Because of the debunking is so funny. Anyway. Oh, my gosh. So, Are you going to share with us? Yes. So Serena Chessie commented on the site of nhmagazine.com, uh, the most haunted places in New Hampshire, which lists 13 haunted places and one being this ghost jogger. So this was um, I'm kind of paraphrasing Serena's comment but she said that when she attended New Hampshire College she and her friends had heard of the jogger but when they heard of the story back then he jogged most every day not only on Halloween night so she and her friends sat along the wall by the road to see if he would show up so kids have been doing this for a while that's really funny he did show up what (laughs) but he wasn't a ghost He was a friendly guy who happened to be an albino. And since daylight could be harmful to him, he jogged at night. He waved and said hi and continued down the road. 
And this, ladies and gentlemen, is how rumors of hauntings and urban legends get started. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that at I all. Know. Does this man know that people think he's a ghost? I'm sure. He, they, there hasn't been a sighting. I mean, students of- have been sitting there for years since the seventies. <laughs> But he, there haven't been sightings of him for a while, from what I've read. So he's probably moved on to someplace else. But oh or he's or he doesn't run anymore. I don't know. <laughs> Gosh. So was he running in the seventies when this all started, or is that rumors? Rumor says it started. No, in the 70s. He, he was he was a runner, but he couldn't run during the daylight because it would harm. No, no, him. no I get that. So, but but yeah, he he's, that- he's probably started running in the seventies. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> so everybody says this is on like the 13 haunted, most haunted places in New Hampshire. And they're like, oh my gosh, there's a runner at a college. And you have all these people like, yeah, we used to sit and try to watch it. Yeah, we used to sit and try to find him. And this lady gets on there and she goes, it's just an albino that lives there. <laughs> I actually saw him. He said hi to me and he waved and said oh, hi to us. Oh, that sweet man. I wonder if he knows that people think. That's like on the verge of just being wrong. <laughs> it's right uh, on the cusp of being it's wrong. It's right on the cusp of just being so wrong. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Mom is just losing it over there. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> because, you know, me and ghost stories, especially ones like this, it's just like. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, well, now that I've downed this, I really could go for a taco. <laughs> <laughs> or a burrito. A burrito sounds really lovely. <laughs> Nachos, some queso, maybe. You're just making yourself hungry. <laughs> I'm very hungry now. Oh, well, New Hampshire, it's been something. <laughs> It's been a run. Oh, God. (laughs) That doesn't even work there, Mom. (laughs) We gotta go. (laughs) Tell people where they can find us. No, you tell them that you always do that better (laughs) than me. We're on Facebook, Instagram. We're also on TikTok, Killer Hangover Podcast. If you have any other crazy stories email them to us killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com our resources and photos from this episode will be on our website killerhangoverpodcast.com join us on patreon patrons thank you so much for the drink this week for the margarita yes now you know what a margarita is at least you learned something in this dang episode (laughs) Uh, and if you have any stories that you would like us to cover either being paranormal or true crime send those or just a beverage you want us to drink hey a beverage too we'll we'll fix one that actually makes sense in a state no we'll put it in there someplace come on margarita's (laughs) restaurant what else was i going to make true 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 okay i i have a way of sliding those drinks in there no matter what they are so send us your send us your drinks your cocktails i'll put it in mom will make it work (laughs) all right sweetheart oh all right mom 
Oh my gosh. What do I say? Cheers, Cheers. mama. (laughs) Cheers. Love you, kid.